Well, folks, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, good to be back with you all. Sorry I wasn't here the past two weeks. Um, and uh, I rarely turn down an opportunity to preach. And our newest eco-congregation, which is Community Presbyterian Church in Port Aransas, called me and said, could I come down and preach on the Memorial Day weekend? And actually, they wanted me to preach uh, last week as well. I couldn't do that because I had to be at Christ Episcopal Church doing a baptism of a son of a girl who grew up at Highland Park Pres, and she want, wanted me to do the baptism of her son. It was the second one I did. I've done two over there. And Pat Gahan, the wonderful pastor of Christ Episcopal, he and I are good buddies. And he said, sure, Ron, come in here, do this. And he included me in the service. Of course, I'm as a Presbyterian, I'm liturgically challenged when you put me in an Episcopal situation. So I made a few gaffes, but we got little Spencer baptized last week. So pardon me for not being with you all. And uh, first, our community prayers, Port Aransas, their sanctuary is still damaged from the hurricane of like, gosh, what, six years ago now? And they've got a fund to try to rebuild it. They're looking for a pastor at the same time. So keep them in your prayers, and First Pres Corpus, which is an eco-congregation, they're kind of their big brother, so to speak, and are kind of shepherding them, and um, so it was fun to be down there. Somebody has to suffer for Jesus at the coast, you know, uh, but anyway, it's good to be back with you all. Um, let me open us with a word of prayer, then I want to hear what's the stupidest thing that you heard or saw this past week. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, we live uh, in a time like I've never seen before. Uh, and I remember, I'm reminded always of what Paul Kasher says, uh, none of this makes you nervous, but it makes us nervous. And it has put our nation, uh, the church, everyone in places we've never been before and we're all wondering are we losing our minds? And uh, Lord, I, I believe uh, your word, and, I, and because I believe that, I believe this is not accidental. Uh, Satan is the father of lies, and he's at work sowing seeds of misinformation. He's done it from the Garden of Eden down to today, and he uses all of our high-tech uh, stuff to do that, as well as our common conversations and personal relationships. So, Lord, uh, I just pray that you place the shield of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of your armor around us here today as we talk about human sexuality and how that's uh, being made into something that it's not, and uh, that we would come out of here a little more sane, a little more convinced of your sovereignty and your love for us, uh, and that your creation is good. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, what's the stupidest thing? Oh, well, that hand went up right away. Oh, well, need we say more? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that is pretty dumb, pretty dumb. I noticed there's one in the men's room. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what is the, what's another stupid thing you heard or saw this week? In Idaho. See, it's everywhere. It used to be you had to go to California. Now it doesn't matter where you go. Yeah? I read in the Wall Street Journal this morning that a research article was redacted from Springer, which is a major research publication, saying that gender uh, dysmorphia uh, came on suddenly after social media. And people didn't like, after quickly using social media, and the explosion side didn't like the does anybody know who sort of the granddaddy of transgender surgery is in the United States? Anybody know who that is? Transgender surgery. Um, his name is Paul McHugh. For decades, he was the uh, uh, head of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins University. And I was a pastor in Baltimore for 11 years. I never met Paul. Um, there was a rash of uh, MPD, multiple personality disorder stuff going on uh, in the 90s in the church across the nation. Baltimore seemed to be an epicenter. My church we were flooded with people who thought there were multiple persons. Like, what the heck is going on? And Paul McHugh wrote an article in the Baltimore Sun, and a lot of this was uh, involving satanic ritual abuse and all this stuff. And he wrote an article. I, I'm not sure where he is spiritually. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't know where he is spiritually. But he pretty much poo-pooed a lot of that stuff. And I discovered by trial and error that a lot of it was not. I, and I believe Satan's real. I believe you can be abused. And uh, I think there are satanic rituals. But a lot of this was people that were just, they were off their rockers. And I'm glad they came to our church. We were, we were kind of a, a place where they could be healed and find safety and everything else. But the point I'm trying to make is when Bruce Jenner, Man, I remember when I was, I was 26 years old when he was running around. He was the greatest man in America. And uh, good-looking guy, greatest athlete, you know, decathlon. Man, and when he came out, and everybody was cheering that on, Paul McHugh. Now, oh, here, you need to some, you know, know something else about Paul McHugh. Paul McHugh pioneered the whole transgender surgery movement back in the 1970s. And um, that's where you went to get the surgery done was Johns Hopkins. So Bruce Jenner comes out and Paul McHugh writes, you can Google this, front page Wall Street Journal article on how we should not be cheering people like Bruce Jenner on. And he actually says these people are mentally ill. Why does he say that when he was the granddaddy? Because he said, we tracked 
100% of the people that applied for surgery at Hopkins, we did surgery on about 80% of them, but we also followed the 20% that we didn't. And he said, after about 30 years, here's what we found, that the people who got the surgery were worse off than before, more suicidal, less happy, more confused. Most of the 20%, he said, kind of, well, I really am a guy, you know, and, and they went on with their lives and kind of did okay. So he shut the program down and uh, said, this is, these people should be uh, loved on and pitied, but not cheered on. And um, so read that article, because he's, he's the most knowledgeable person on it. Uh, MC, like Scottish name. Uh, I think it's H-U-G-H, McHugh, McHugh. So Paul McHugh, Wall Street Journal, it was about whenever year that was, Jenner said he was a woman. Other stupid things you heard or saw. That's what. Sandy? What's wrong with that? You know, I saw a little clip of uh, John Kennedy, the senator from Louisiana, uh, uh, grilling Mayorkas. Uh, this was really interesting. He said, Mayorkas just said the border was secure and they were doing everything they can to make it more secure. And Kennedy just looked at him and said, now, you know, a lot of people think you're stupid or you're incompetent. But he said, you know, I've gotten to know you through these hearings. I believe you're neither. I don't believe you're stupid. I don't believe you're incompetent. I believe you want that border wide open. And Mayorkas was just stunned. He didn't know what to say. And I thought, here's, he cut through to the truth, through all the stuff. And um, one of the things, if you uh, read the Bonhoeffer paper on stupidity, one of the things that comes out in that, and if you study the, what went on in the Weimar Republic, this was right before Bonhoeffer wrote that thing, right before Hitler took over. If you look at, just Google Weimar Republic, read about it, it's parallel to what's going on in the U.S. today except for social media. I mean, they had social media, newspapers, radio, but uh, we can now fuel this thing much easier with social media, but uh, drag queens, transgender, uh, sexual anarchy, um, and questioning everything. The whole critical theory movement that came out of the German universities uh, that was applied to the Bible, religion in general, uh, science, everything. And there's some good in that and there's some bad. I mean, it freed up guys like Einstein to uh, go against uh, the, the, the accepted scientific Newtonian views. And he was playing around with uh, what eventually becomes the theory of relativity. And uh, so that was good. But everything was out of the box. And one of the things you see is they try to control language, how we think about each other, what words are in and out, 
and to keep changing them all the time so that you create a populace that's scared to talk about anything. Um, those of you that know me, you know that I've never been afraid to speak my mind about anything until recently when I'm in a group of people and I'm about to, I go, I never checked myself before. I would just, uh, Lewis used to say, Ron, you have no diplomatic skills whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's true. Um, but if I'm wrong, I'll apologize and say, I'm sorry I said that. And you show me a better way and I will always take it. I don't have to win every time. Yeah. Um, in my home Bible study, I've been in Jeremiah for a long time. I thought Jeremiah was never going to end. <laughs> it was over and over uh, telling us the things that are happening in our country today. Um, there was all kinds of sexual immorality and um, and just people doing awful things, worshiping other gods in, in the temple and uh, it was just crazy. And, and But nobody would speak up against it. When Jeremiah did, they threw him in the deep hole and threw right. rocks down on him. Yeah, yeah. So Nothing new under the sun. I just finished Second Chronicles, and it's just the parade of the kings of Israel and Judah. One does right in the eyes of God, and they prosper. But then the next guy comes along, and they're doing all the Asherim, high places, and Baal, and all this stuff. And God visits judgment on them. And then the next guy comes along, does evil, even more. And you think, these people are really stupid. They are really stupid. They just don't get it. Well, here we are. Um, if God doesn't... Yeah, Barbara? Yeah. This, this is one of the things that happened, I think, actually last week that absolutely blew my mind, and I'm sure many of you saw it. Uh, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and the, I mean, everything that's written in here, just, this is the, the Wikipedia of, of them, uh, they were founded in 1979, that's a long time mm -hmm. ago. And what they used it for uh, to be able to be a legitimate uh, organization was our uh, rules on nonprofit organizations. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing that I found, I mean, the, much of it was hideous, absolutely hideous. If I were a Roman Catholic, I would really be off the graph, and at one point in my life I was, but um, how could the L.A. Dodgers organization not only agree to honor them, honor them, because of Gay Pride Month, but they have a whole event tonight where they're going to be honoring these people who do what they call religious satire, but what I saw was the height of, of I don't even know, there's not a word to describe how awful 
It's blasphemous. If you read the Bonhoeffer paper, it will talk about. They celebrate gay pride and have, you know, proper things to speak about and whatever. Now, one person, a Los Angeles Dodger, stood up against it. Clayton Kershaw. That kid must have sat under some good preaching growing up. And Clayton, Clayton was a member of my church in Dallas. He and our good buddies. And, uh, He's, a, he's the real deal, committed Christian, gracious, humble. <clears throat> and he went to the front office of the Dodgers, and he and I emailed him. And um, he told them that he was, uh, he decided, I'm not going to go in there and try to wage war on them. But they used to have Christian family night at Dodger Stadium, and they got rid of it. So he came there and said, I want Christian family night back on the calendar. And they gave in to him. It helps if you're a three-time Cy Young award winner, and a first ballot Hall of Fame shoe-in. Um, but Clayton, I'm sure he's been attacked. His family's been attacked. He's got four kids. But he stood up and in a gracious way. And, you know, I used to preach from the pulpit. And we need to say this over and over again. These people are not our enemies. They're not our enemies. Who's the enemy? Satan. These people are hostages. You know, it's, it's like um, if you went to an unreached people group in Tanzania, you wouldn't go over there with a chip on your shoulder and go, I don't like these people. I'm going to win them to Christ. Oh, that's, you know. Well, um, we should love these people and pray for them and, uh, and go to them with, with grace and mercy and, and model something different for them. Because they're confused. They've bought the lie. Um, I'm going to throw out, this is not this week, but uh, I meant to lead off the series with this, and I forgot to. Back during the last presidential election, a dear, close, close friend of mine, who's an ordained Orthodox Presbyterian pastor, emailed me and told me he had joined, I'm not making this up, he had joined an organization called Pro-Life Evangelicals for Biden. It's like Orthodox Jews for Adolf, you know. Um, now, I know why. He has a son who came out and basically told, you know, if you vote for Trump, I'll never speak to you again. So he, this was his way of trying to keep. But then I went on their website. And it had everybody listed who remembers of this thing. I knew two other guys on there, evangelical, Presbyterian. One was a pastor, one was a former president of a seminary. I had all of them preach at my church in Dallas. These guys were solid. I'm like, what is going on? And uh, the group was founded by Ron Sider. Some of you may remember that book, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. Now, Ron's always kind of been on the left wing of evangelicalism, but I've met him. He's a great guy. I think he's a godly guy. And uh, interesting, after the election, turns out that Ron Sider and I'll name another guy who's a good friend of mine who's the president of the seminary, 
uh, Richard Mao, who was president of Fuller Seminary. He was my other friend who was part of this thing. Uh, they held a press conference after the election and said basically Biden had courted them if they would, this group, if they delivered the evangelical vote, they would be his consultants on the whole thing of abortion during his presidency. And he'd be calling them all the time and inviting them to the White House. <laughs> they bit on that. Um, they, Biden cut, cut off all communication with them when they tried to find out when are we going to meet with you, they just stonewalled. So they held a press conference denouncing, saying we, we were fools, we got fooled, and they shut down the whole thing. But I thought, this is the stupidest thing I, I have ever heard of in my life. I wanted to keep their friendships. <laughs> and I, I know the one guy, the guy's an OP pastor. I understand his situation and how you can get all, you know, camboozled when you're trying to keep a relationship with your kids. But I don't know about Richard Mao. And then the other one, I'll just because he went public, John Huffman, who was pastor of St. Andrews, Pres Newport Beach. I've known him for 40 years. John. Um, but I'm sure he could look at things in my life and go, ah, that, that guy used to look at me a lot and go, I can't believe you did that or said that. One time, I, 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 it was my first Christmas Eve at First Prayer. We only had two services and then, 7 and 11. So 7 o'clock service, I had the big prayer. And so I was going to get all these C and ears that are out there, you know, the Christmas and Easter crowd. So I prayed in the prayer something like along the lines of, and Lord, have mercy upon those that are here tonight for whom the next time they're in this sanctuary, there'll be Easter lilies. <laughs> and uh, after the service, Lewis and I were walking back, and he looked at me, and he said, uh, Ron, that prayer won't be prayed at the 11 o'clock service. That's all he said. He didn't say, what part of it? What? I knew. And, and I changed <laughs> The prayer. But he was always looking at me, I can't believe you prayed that on Christmas Eve. Anyway, even though it was true, it was stupid, stupid thing to do. Um, as if I got to, that's going to get them to come to church every week, you know. Okay. This was going on in the Weimar Republic. That was very brave of him. But it's hard. Yeah. And if you want to 
if a political party wants to keep control, you've got to create chaos and fear. And if you can keep people at each other's throats and afraid to talk, and you know, I've seen some videos, this, this girl escaped from North Korea, and she talks about how um, you didn't know who you could talk to because somebody's gonna turn you in if you say anything negative about anything. Uh, even minor stuff, they would execute you and then three generations after you. And so people live in fear, and that's, we're living in fear now as a nation. People are afraid to say anything. They don't wanna we don't wanna lose our friends, our kids, our parents. Um, so better just shut up and say nothing and go along to get along. And, uh, That's what, you know, the Weimar Republic, the majority of people didn't go along with all this stuff going on. Um, but they were silent. And they wanted it changed. And Hitler came along. He was kind of a nobody. Um, and he said, if you elect me, uh, you know, to the presidency or chancellorship, whatever it was called, um, it was supposed to be a republic like the US. And he did a Santa Ana. You know, Santa Ana was elected 1826 Constitution of Mexico. It's based on our Constitution. It was now a federal republic rather than a dictatorship. And Santa Ana came along and said, elect me premier, whatever the title was, El Presidente, and we're gonna be like the US. And he got in the office and then <laughs> took over and said, I'm the new dictator. And that's what caused the problems that led to the Alamo and everything else. And so Hitler does the same thing. He gets elected and then says, ah, I'm not the whatever president, I'm now the Fuhrer and I, I'm taking over. But I'm gonna fix all these things. In fact, we're gonna put all these people in prison and torture them and everything else. The point I'm trying to make there is we need to be careful. We're in that same situation we need to be careful of anybody who comes along as the Messiah. I'm going to fix all of this. I'm not taking a slam at any certain candidates. I'm just saying we should not run on emotion. And, and that's what this culture is running on right now. That's why we're having this talk today about human sexuality, because it's all an emotional thing rather than science. Or let me back up and say one thing before we get into science. Everything I say today, don't believe it. Unless, first of all, you believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God from cover to cover. Um, that's the only way anything I say is going to make any sense. Otherwise, everything's up for grabs. Um, what I'm going to say only carries weight if you believe that. And uh, I was going to say, it won't hold true unless you... No, it's going to hold true whether you believe it or not. But it's not going to carry any weight for you unless you're going to make the Scripture the lens through which you look through everything else, which is what it's designed to do. And um, so I want to make that caveat uh, right here. 
the irony, uh, you know, now we talk a little bit about science. The goal of science is to try to get to the truth. Science doesn't always do that. Science goes down rabbit holes. It's, it's not as cut and dried and empirical as we are led to believe. I, I was a, two years a research assistant at Baylor Med School in Houston, and, you know, there's as much faith in scientific exploration as there is in what we're doing here. Uh, it's not all nice and neat and cut and dry. And uh, ironically, you and I are living right now at the most scientifically expansive era ever in the history of humankind, and yet at the same time, our culture is telling us uh, we're really living in a post-scientific, post-modern, post-truth, post-reason culture. We're launching the Jim Webb Telescope, while at the same time, we say, well, we're not sure what, you know, what a woman is. I mean, come on. This is, this is crazy. This is stupid. This is stupid. Um, so let's talk a little bit about sex from a biblical and scientific standpoint. My master's is in cell biology, particularly reproductive physiology. I know a little bit of what's going on. Um, but I'm going to speak in lay terms, so don't worry. Um, a couple of stories. I have two sons, and when they were, hit the age of eight, I took them separately uh, down to a ranch in Bosque County to have the talk. And uh, my oldest son, Andrew, did that, and it was kind of a, everything went fine. My youngest son, Michael, this would have been about 1990 seven or something, and I took him down there, and I began, we sat down, I said, Michael, who invented, invented sex? And he looked at me and said, Bill Clinton? I'm not kidding. But you know, he, he had heard on the TV, that was during the Monica, you know, all that kind of stuff, and that shows how a kid is shaped by the culture, and he was being, he wasn't kidding, he, he thought that was a legitimate shot at a real answer. And I went, oh my goodness. Uh, so I had to set him straight on that. Now I'm going to ask you a question. This is a question a doc, I had a, when I was a youth minister here. Every year I would do uh, a thing on human sexuality with the junior highs and senior highs. And I'd bring in a doctor from the congregation uh, so I wouldn't have, to, so the parents wouldn't be mad at me. And uh, I'll never forget his opening line to the kids, junior and senior, he said, okay, kids, here's a question for you. What's the largest sex organ? Of course, the kids are like, I'm like, oh my goodness. What? And he said, it's your brain. It's your brain. Brain is the largest sex organ. And it's true. How you and I think about human sexuality defines how we live it out in a lot of ways. And if our brains are not conditioned by truth of the capital T, you come up with all of this. Because, uh, you know, John Calvin said the human heart is a factory of idols. We will make, churn out idols about everything. Right now, sex is an idol in our society. They say the, the Victorians, all they wanted to talk about was death, but they wouldn't talk about sex. We flipped that. All we want to talk about is sex, and we don't want to talk about death anymore. We're death-denying in our, in our culture. 
Neither of those is healthy nor true. Um, now, let's get into the Bible and what it says about human sexuality. Because this ought to be the bedrock, the gold standard, where we begin. If you've got your Bibles with you, I hope you do. Um, if you don't, pull out your phone and uh, type in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. This is the first time we meet any talk about sex. Now, it's not human sexuality, but this God gets sexy right from the beginning of creation. This is day three of creation. And God says, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed. The Hebrew word, the Greek word for seed is sperma, and it's the Hebrew word means the same thing. Um, yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind, on the earth. And it was so. And then verse 12, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds. So there's more than one kind of plant and more than one kind of seed. And trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Right away, we've got to say, sex is not bad. Um, growing up in the 50s, kind of the culture gave you this idea that sex was dirty, bad, and, <laughs> and um, you know, that's never been the case. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, you should never think of sex as a necessary evil or dirty or bad or anything else. Uh, it's a great creation by God right from the beginning. God builds in sexuality. Now, this is about plants. I've taken botany, and I know there are male, male plants, female plants. There's not any other kind of genders of plants. Just ain't. That's the science. Um, so sex is good from the very start. Then if you look at uh, Genesis 1, verse 22, God goes on to say he gets to the, uh, the, the fauna now. And he creates the animals, fish, birds of the air, everything. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning. That was the fifth day. So right away you see the ultimate purpose behind sexuality of plants and animals is to what? Procreate. That's kind of at the front door, sex, biblical sex 101. Your origin of sex is, the primary purpose of sex is to procreate. Plants to reproduce, animals to reproduce. And so that ought to be a, 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 a hint to you and me that when we try to divorce sexuality from procreation. Now, I need to say right away, there are some people that cannot procreate for whatever reason, men, women, um, genetically, or they got in an accident, or whatever, blah, blah, blah. and some people, uh, well, that doesn't mean you're any less a human being. I'm just saying the principle behind sexuality of plants and animals was so they could reproduce in their own kind and populate the earth. Okay, so that's the, the flora and the fauna, non-human, 
And um, so, and, and remember, there, and there's only two sexes here. You know, Noah and the ark. God says, bring one of each on there. And he doesn't say, you know, bring two male mosquitoes. You know, why didn't somebody just swat one of those mosquitoes? Uh, that's... Um, but, you know, that, again, the ark is a, a rescue, God rescuing humanity. But again, and creatures, the animals. Uh, but it's, there's only two genders there, folks, on the ark. Okay. Um, but in a, a series on human sexuality, uh, the scripture basis, which, which we start with, is Genesis 1.27. Let's look at that. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, the Latin term that we theologians start, like to throw around is imago dei, image of God. Um, that's another thing we need to remember when we're dealing with a culture of stupidity. When your friend says to you, some college-educated, really urbane kind of person, says, blah, 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 they're not your enemy. Even though they may be yelling at you and they're saying it to you. Um, you have to remember, I, I, I remind myself of this all the time, I'll see some bizarre person. I have to first think, Imago Dei. And if that person's made in the image of God, then they deserve my love, my respect, my care, and protection from womb to tomb. Or else, I'm scuttling this whole thing. Try to think that way when you meet stupid people. And we're all stupid. I mean, we're all in the same boat. We're all stupid to some extent. And, um, but they're made in the image of God. And we all have defaced that image, but the image is not totally destroyed in anybody. We can deface it more and more and more. But they're still a human being, therefore they deserve honor and respect, and we shouldn't be hateful. Uh, but we, we want to move them toward the truth. Um, but anyway, in verse 27, I mean, there's no way around this, folks, scientifically or biblically. God designs human beings with two genders, male and female. And the whole, uh, that's what it means to be imago dei. It's not just that I reflect the image of God as a man. I best reflect the image of God in partnership with Anne. Um, the complementariness of male-female is what reflects the image of God. Now, again, i got to say, that doesn't mean if you're single, you're not imago Dei. Uh, you don't fully, you're not really totally fully human. No, no, not at all. But the norm is that God designed his image to be reflected most gloriously in the male and female in complement with each other. Um, that's God's design. Male and female, he created them. Now they'll tell you there's a hundred and, it changes all the time. 64 genders, 168, uh, it shifts around. Uh, if you're not anchored here, 
then everything's up for grabs. Sure, there can be 80 genders if you want to say so. If, uh, but God makes it clear there's only two genders, male and, and female. Um, some of you know I was defrocked by the PCUSA. I have that letter. I have it framed. Something I'm very proud of. Here's why I was defrocked in, from PCUSA. Um, it was my first presbytery meeting after this church called me to help pastor them through the tough time back in 2015. March of 2015, I went to my first presbytery meeting. It was at Parkway, Pres, and Corpus. And it just so happened I was going to be received at that meeting back into this presbytery, which I'd been a member of back in 1979 to 89. And uh, ironically, that was the day they were going to have a debate on same-sex marriage, whether the PCUSA should change its view and, and embrace that. So I'm, they received me, so now I'm in the presbytery, so I'm going to stand up on the floor and say something. Now, in a debate, you should, they had people, one microphone over here and the other for and against. Now, nothing, I mean, we were going to then vote after all the debate. So I got up and I told myself, I'm not going to say anything, no buzzwords, I'm not going to attack any group or anything like that. I didn't say anything about uh, homosexuality or bisexual, nothing. I got up and I said, I, I read from Genesis 1, and I said, you know, this, this verse. And I said, for 4,000 years, Christians, Jews, uh, have said the imago dei is reflected most fully in the complement of male and female. And that's not just someone's opinion. That's God. This is his instructions to us. I said, and what this presbytery is asking me to do is throw that out and say, no, female, female, or male, male, reflects the Imago Dei just as well as what, the way God originally planned it. And I said, what you're asking me to do is exchange this God for another God. And I said, that is the very definition of idolatry. And so I urged this presbytery to vote against that. So after our church in November of that year voted to leave, then I had fi charges filed on me that I had violated my ordination vows by saying things on the floor of presbytery at that meeting that uh, disrupted the purity, peace, and unity of the church. A debate. And I said in a gracious tone, and I, it's almost verbatim what I just said to you. I said on the floor of Presbyterian. Other people said similar things. Um, so I was defrocked for that. Now, to be fair, um, I, I was defrocked really because I refused to stand trial. They subpoenaed me to go before the Presbyterian stand trial. And fortunately, some guys in our church had gotten a, a, a what do you call it, Dave? <laughs> Restraining order by a local judge against the presbytery said they couldn't step on the 
premises of this church and get me and the session. They were going to try to remove the whole session along with me. And uh, so I just kept refusing to show up. And they finally said, since you didn't show up, you're defrocked. And, and immediately, Eco said, don't worry. If that happens, we'll take you right in. And so it was almost seamless. And so anyway. But uh, you, now you can't say what I said on the floor of a presbytery now in the PCUSA, or you would be defrocked. Uh, it's a new God. There's a new God in town, new sheriff in town. Um, no, there's not. No, there's not. Okay. Um, then if you move on to verse 28 of Genesis 1, it says, God blessed them. This is um, male and female. Be fruitful and multiply. He says the same thing he says to plants and the non-human fauna. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. By the way, having dominion, humans over other species, does not mean you can exploit other species. It means this whole Garden of Eden thing means you're going to be the caretaker of plants and animals. You're to make them flourish, not you can use them for anything you want to. Um, and God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth, every tree, and you shall have them for food. Now, it's interesting. You can make an argument that until the fall, man was created to be a vegetarian. It doesn't say that you can eat the animals. It says you can eat the uh, plants. I'm not going to go down. I love barbecue, so I'm not going <laughs> to. We just don't believe that. Um, okay. Uh, now, Christians need to do Everything, uh, to do everything, um, I can't read my own writing here. Oh, again, God is saying this is good, 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 good. We need as Christians to do away with the satanic idea that sex is bad, evil, dirty, sinful, necessary evil, unrighteous, not spiritual. Read 1 Corinthians 6. Paul's treatment of human sexuality, he puts it in such sacred terms. It's almost like it's a sacrament. Um, so it's a very spiritual thing. Um, that's why I remember hearing Tony Campolo say one time, that's why Paul talks about don't give yourself to a prostitute. You know, every time a man and woman come together sexually, uh, they're not diminished. They're built up. They're built up. But if you go around with multiple partners, you're leaving a piece of yourself. And you're not being built. Pretty soon you're dissipated. And uh, God's idea of human sexuality is to build up uh, men and women, not to dissipate us. And the idea of fooling around, back to the procreation thing. Nobody fools around to procreate. They do everything they can to, to stop it. And if they fail, and well, get an abortion. Um, kill the imago dei. Kill the imago dei. No. Not if you believe this is true. Now let's switch over to Genesis 2, because we get a whole new angle, or not a new angle, another angle of what it means to be a human being, imago dei. If you look at Genesis 2, verses 18, 18 through 20, this is what the text says. 
Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. You know, all the studies show right now, the biggest killer in the United States right now is what? Anybody know? Huh? Loneliness. Loneliness. If you want, you know, when I used to read in the paper about some guy who was, you know, a murderer or somebody who's put in solitary confinement, I, used, I didn't think much of it. Oh, okay, yeah, it's a bad punishment. That's what he deserved. Now I cringe. Uh, um, have you ever been alone? When I was a pastor in Jakarta for six months, I was surrounded by 30 million people, and that's the loneliest I've ever been because Anne was back in the States. And I pined all the time. And if you've ever been in a situation where you're alone and you can't get out, I mean, you, you go nuts. And so, ironically, we're the most connected culture that's ever been, all the social media and everything, but we're not really connected. We're not having face-to-face, -face, physical, personal, interactive relationships. Well, I have 800 friends. Now you really have none. Um, and so the suicide rate is skyrocketing. And then people are just dying of loneliness. That's what happens in nursing homes. People just die because they're lonely. I'm, I remember Bob LaPere, who's a doctor in our congregation, he went into um, the forum right as COVID hit. His wife couldn't visit him. Nobody could visit him except a nurse coming in like with a hazmat suit on, you know, to give him his meal or his meds. His wife would go out to the window. Now, Bob died in there. I can't prove he died of loneliness, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, so if you, if you want to really punish somebody, you put them in solitary confinement. God says, the man was not, you're not, you're not meant to be alone. He says, I'll make a helper fit for him. He's talking about Adam here. Now, this is kind of humorous. <laughs> I think this is God's sense of humor. So he makes every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the heavens, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. You know, it's like Adam was saying, nice try, Lord. <laughs> nice try. This really doesn't cut it. I mean, I love this little deer here. Isn't there something more? God says, yeah, you're right. I, I should read my own literature. Go back to chapter one. Uh, I need to create a female. So... God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up the place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, not another man, a woman, and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, the real Hebrew uh, uh, sounds like this. Wow! Hubba hubba! Yes, Lord! Um, that's what it is really saying beneath all that fancy language. Now, my predecessor uh, at Highland Park President Dallas, Clayton Bell, he was Billy Graham's brother-in-law, a great man, internationally famous. I'm living proof that a nobody can follow a somebody. But uh, I like to use humor 
appropriately, and sometimes not appropriately, in sermons. Yeah, I'm preaching next week the 9, 30, 11 service. So I'm not going to be here for this class. Chris will be your man. And I'll bring some humor into that. I asked somebody one time, uh, I like to use humor. Did, did Clayton do something? No, 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 no. He tried to once. It didn't work, so he didn't use it. And I said, well, what are you doing? He said, oh, it's still kind of a scandal. I said, oh, I want to hear this. And apparently he was preaching from Genesis on this text uh, with Adam and Eve. And Clayton stops and says, um, well, here's something that's not in the Bible, but here's how it went. Um, you know, God brings the animals, and, and Adam says, well, thanks, but that's not really what I'm looking for. Uh, nice try. So he creates the woman, and Adam's like, Whoa. And God says, wait a minute, go over and give her a hug. Then come back and tell me what happens. And he goes over and hugs Eve, comes back. And, I don't know what's going on. But, Whoa, I've hugged a deer and nothing like this happened. God says, now go over and give her a kiss. Then come back and tell me what it's like. Goes over and kisses Eve, comes back. And, oh, gosh, I don't know what's going on anymore. This one. And God says, you ain't seen nothing yet. He goes, <laughs> and Adam goes over, comes back, and says to God, what's a headache? <laughs> that was Clayton's last joke. <clears throat> okay, I want us to drill down a little bit, the little time we have left. On verse 24 of Genesis 2:24, you know, repetition in Scripture, if you read a verse and it's got a word that occurs two, three, four times, that's God's clue to take that seriously. And verse 24 of Genesis 2 is the only verse in the Bible that's quoted by both Jesus and Paul. That ought to say this has extreme importance. No other Old Testament text does Jesus and Paul quote. Only this one. Here's how it goes. Therefore, after he creates Eve, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Again, nothing dirty about sex, nothing shameful when it's within the parameters that God has designed it for. A man shall leave his father and mother. As a pastor who counseled married couples, as a pastor who didn't have a clue what he was doing counseling married couples, you know, one of the big problems I saw were one either one or the other had a hard time leaving father and mother. I used to, when I did premarital counsel, counseling, I'd always say, especially to the guy, you know, you're not just marrying Jane. You're marrying her whole family. No, 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 no. And with that comes all of the good, the bad, the ugly. And the best thing you can do is go, when they invite you over to dinner some night before you get married, Say, you know, your family means so much to me. I'd like you to tell me about all the traditions in your family. Because that way you're going to start learning where the bodies are buried, where the, the, 
the, uh, the landmines are buried. And that may not always help you, but at least you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't step here. Now, there are some landmines you want, might want to go and blow it up. That'd be the healthiest thing for the marriage. But nothing worse than when you say something at the dinner table to your in-laws and everybody just looks at each other and, what did I say? Uh, so try to get them to draw you a map of the minefield. And I said to the, the, his fiancée, do the same thing with his family. And because uh, there's no getting around it. But um, I used to counsel couples that when you have a fight, do not go home to your parents. Even if you know you're right, well, even if you're wrong, they're going to say you're right, and that feels good, don't. The Bible says don't let the sun go down in your anger. You stay there and you work it out, and don't flee to your parents. Now, at the same time, it doesn't mean ax your family out of your life and just focus on you. You've got to find that healthy balance. But you need to leave your father and mother. It's you two that are going to reflect the imago dei by becoming one flesh. Man and woman, in God's eyes, becomes one flesh. Man and man, woman and woman, not in God's eyes does that constitute one flesh. Uh, again, this is God. Jesus quotes this. Paul quotes this. This is God's parameter, the arena for goodly, godly, healthy, procreative, uh, hubba hubba, human sexuality, a man and wife. And we're going to get in, in weeks to come, I'm going to deal with what about multiple wives, all these guys in the Old Testament, you know, Solomon had 700 wives, and yet was the wisest man in the world. Um, <laughs> concubines, where does that all come from? Um, and all this stuff are still live issues. John Roberts, the Supreme Court Chief Justice, when the U.S., after the PCUSA had okayed same-sex marriage, he wrote the minority opinion. And he said, one of the reasons I'm against this is this now, the way this thing is worded, there's no reason that polygamy is going to be the next thing. And we're already seeing that. You know, Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, I remember saying one time, if, if uh, God doesn't do something with what's going on in San Francisco, this was like 40 years ago, San Francisco, he's got to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. The thing is that most people don't understand this. God's judgment is usually not. Romans 1 tells us what 
God's judgment, how it usually operates. He removes his hand and says, you want to live that way? I give you over to yourselves. And we, when given over to ourselves, will devour each other and kill each other. Um, someone, C.S. Lewis, has suggested that hell is, you know, God is the source of all that's good. And God withdraws his presence totally from hell. And it's not, you know, demons roasting you over a spit. It's just human beings left with each other with no goodness. They create hell. They devour each other for eternity. Is that the way it's going to be? Sounds like a good description. I mean, that is horrible. And we think that we can kick against the goads. And our culture right now is, I, I, outside of God doing something very dramatic, I do not believe there's any hope for the United States of America as a country. The Weimar Republic was just like us. We're set up for a Hitler to come in. Um, or, um, I told my kids jokingly 15 years ago, you better learn the Chinese Pledge of Allegiance because um, they could come in here and take us over. So I, I think, unless God, we can't do anything politically, economically, militarily. To get, we're in the abyss. We're not like on the edge of the abyss. We're in the abyss. I don't think we can do anything humanly speaking to get us out. So what's our job? We're to live by this book. We're to love the hostages. They're not the enemy. Um, we're to pray for them and model for them. You know, the studies, again, back to science, studies of men and women who married as virgins and who have not cheated on each other have the happiest healthiest lifestyles. And folks that, um, you know, mess around, if you, if you lived, I have couples come to me, they used to try to hide it um, in premarital counseling, uh, but it, now, they just come in, you know, I was saying to Julie last night, I woke up at 3 a.m. and nudged her, and I'm like, oh gosh, we're going to have to talk about that. And I, I would not marry anyone unless they were willing to move out and honor Christ. I'm not going to make you take vows for Christ, but you obviously, and I've had the door slammed in my face. I've also had couples come back to me and say, we hated your guts walking out that day, but we decided to do it. Oh, it's made our marriage. I said, you followed God's parameters. Our honeymoon night was like we'd never, okay, yeah, you did it God's way. And uh, we think we're being cool and accepted in urbane and by affirming all this stuff when it's killing us. It's killing everybody. So um, God knows best. And he's given us the goodness and the beauty and the ecstasy of human sexuality when it's done God's way. And if you've violated those lines, that's okay. I'm not okay. But there's the gospel of grace. You can become a virgin today. Simply, now I'm sounding stupid. <laughs> Scientifically you can't, but spiritually you can. By saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to recommit my life to you, that area of my life. And God honors that. He will honor that. So um, 
There's no sin past his forgiveness. And uh, so let's go out of here, not be stupid. Let's use our largest sex organ as we navigate the current culture of stupidity. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of human sexuality and for sex amongst the other flora and fauna. Um, It's a beautiful thing. And we thank you for male and female. And we pray for our brothers and sisters who are confused, um, who are caught up uh, in ways of thinking and and practices that uh, are killing them. Um, And the ones that come to me for counseling say it's killing them, but they can't admit it in public. Oh, Lord, help us to be their rescuers, to show them a better way a gracious way, and may your church be a a beacon of hope in the midst of the current darkness of our culture. And may that be true of First Presbyterian Church uh, above all others. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.